Hey everyone, welcome to the 49th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Aaron Routliff. Aaron is currently the 12th ranked doubles player on the WTA Tour and won this year's US Open with her partner, Gabby Dabrowski. On today's episode, we discuss her mindset when she's at the net, why she isn't worried about her own doubles alley, and her best advice for the 4-0 player. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Aaron, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Uh, Congrats on an incredible season. You're currently ranked 12th in the world, I believe, and have won three titles this year, including the U.S. Open. Playing on Ash for a slam, I'm assuming, uh, is the biggest match of your career, and that's probably a lot different than playing on like court four of a WTA 500 event. Are you the type of person who tries to treat each match exactly the same? Or do you prepare and adjust for these different situations and environments? I try to treat them all exactly the same. Obviously, that's really hard to do when you're playing in a Grand Slam final on Ash. Like, that's just like, you can't really fake that one, I feel like, because you're like warming up there. But we also were in that kind of same environment leading up to it, you know, the warm up area and all that stuff. So that kind of helped because we'd been there for two weeks and we were really comfortable. But I definitely try and like trick my brain into thinking like every match is the same for sure. What's the what's the normal routine then for for a doubles match that you can kind of rely on and try to pretend like it's first round on court 11 instead of Ash? What's that routine look like? It's like you just so we'll hit together for like 30 minutes, like probably like an hour and a half, two hours before ideally. But obviously the nice thing about like obviously a final is, you know, kind of exactly when you're going to play. Whereas like other times it's like fourth on and it could be like a men's which is three out of five and then you're like well I don't know when to warm up so that's the nice part about it but yeah we hit for 30 minutes um obviously before that like do the physical warm-up and then we'll warm up again like physically like probably starting like 15 20 minutes before and then we'll like talk with our coach or coaches sometimes in the gym before sometimes like while we're eating that one kind of like varies so in 2000, I, I want to make sure I got this right, but in 2019 and 2020, I think I looked up, you were ranked 149 and 154 at the year end in your doubles ranking. And now it's like 24, 36 months later, and you're one of the best players in the world. Is there anything that you can specifically point to that you've improved or changed that kind of has led to that massive jump? I don't think it's like one thing. I think it's like an accumulation of a lot of things. But yeah, 2019, I like quit tennis for the last six months of the year. And I was like, I don't even know if I really wanted to play again. So yeah, it's a pretty big change from like that time, but I needed to get a lot better at losing, which sounds kind of funny, but you know, in tennis, we lose every single week and it will, unless you win the tournament, which is like rare. And I wasn't very good at that before. I just would like beat myself up and would carry losses into other weeks. And I think now I'm a lot better at, you know, finding the positives and then finding things I need to work on and then just moving on quickly, more quickly. It's funny because that was my next question. So when I was looking you up, I saw that your record this year, so you're 12th in the world, had an amazing season and your record this season is 27 and 28. Oh, it's still, oh yeah, it's still losing. Yeah, yeah. No, I had, I, until about August or September, I guess I should say, I had a really rough year, like really rough. Like I didn't, 
yeah, you know, it just wasn't clicking. I, I thought I really felt like I was playing well. And I kept saying to people that I was playing well and it was like going to come. But I was also kind of like trying to fake that to myself to stay positive and like keep going because like the results definitely were not coming. And I'm actually close to be having a winning year. So that's nice because it was if you look before like US Open, it was not good. I was going to say, ever since I've been trying to get you on the podcast, like you've been making like finals and winning like all these events. And then I saw that I'm like, wow, she really must have started the first half of the year slowly. Yeah. But so, so why did you think then, what was it that you were looking at that you, you believed you were playing well, even though the results weren't there? You know, I've always been the type of person that has to like work hard to work hard. I say like that grind doesn't really come naturally. Like, you know, waking up earlier, spending hours and hours and hours on a court doing specific things, that stuff, like doesn't come easily to me and so that's what I've been you know I've been putting in the work like that for I'd say a couple years now and so I you know I just felt like I was playing really well like I felt like I could a lot of the things that were weaknesses before they weren't weaknesses anymore and I'd like really worked on my strength so I just felt like I had like a better game but I was losing way more than I was like last year and year before last year when I kind of like was making my rise so that was really frustrating but also it's really hard because this year was the first year that I played I think all the like big tournaments like all the 500s all the 1000s my ranking was high enough to get into all of them so obviously week in week out you're playing the best players in the world so that's another adjustment to make which is it's just all about adjusting so obviously I I uh it was tough but yeah (laughs) that's kind of funny so you mentioned 2019, you're in a dark place. You don't even know if you want to play anymore. What is it that kept you in the game that that kind of pushed you to keep going? Yeah, I don't know. I, I So I stopped playing in like, I think it was maybe July, something like that. And I didn't play again until January. So it's about six months, I think, five or six months. And just in those first three months, I didn't even go on a tennis court. I was like, I don't even want to be here. And then I started like hitting kind of for fun and um I don't know I think I just realized that I had more to like give to the game and like I didn't really feel like I left it all out there and I didn't want to like end on that note so that's kind of why I came back and then obviously 2020 like I played for what two months and then COVID happened so it was like a lot of time where I was like out of playing right right uh so okay I want to get pretty specific because a lot of my listeners and followers on Instagram they play a lot of doubles and I think there's a lot of things they can probably learn from you, but you know, they a lot of them struggle at the net and are always sending a message, how do I get better at the net, especially when my partner is serving. Generally speaking, can you kind of let us in on what your mindset is when your partner is serving in general? Yeah, that's funny you say that because that's that's like the area that I think that I also need to improve the most at, but I definitely improved in the last I would say I've improved in the last 2 months like dramatically just because I've had to. I think that the thing that people forget is like if you're playing with different partners, there's a different serve speed going at the opponents at all time. And then the timing of the return coming back at you if you're volleying is like completely different. And to to adjust to that takes like months, weeks, I guess, weeks, months, takes a really long time. So I think that that's what um, a lot of people forget because a lot of people that are like, you know, playing club tennis and everything or any kind of tennis, really, they're switching up their partners a lot. And so you just have to be really like, I think, kind to yourself, give yourself a lot of grace because it is like a different ball that you're seeing, that your opponent's seeing. And then obviously that makes the ball you're seeing different. So I don't know, something that I like to do is like listen to the sound of the serve, 
like that's coming off my partner's racket and then I know you can learn a lot by the sound of the ball that's coming at you I think and then I kind of know you know you know if she's like clocking one huge down the middle I can hear that and then I know to like you know step in and being a little bit more aggressive and then if she's like I don't know a little bit more nervous or something and she kicks one then I know I still have to step in but maybe like a little bit less so I think maybe that could help I don't know (laughs) yeah is it so is that like it's like confirmation so maybe if you know Gabby's got a good serve and you're going okay I know that if she hits this well I'm gonna have a chance and so that sound is almost like that audio confirmation yeah. It's, yeah. it's audio confirmation you go i know that if she hits it well boom you hear the crack and you go cool i'm i'm closing middle i'm i'm being aggressive and if you hear that it's a little weaker maybe it's just a slight close and you're thinking a little more like neutral or defensive yeah and i think also like you're thinking when you're at the net if like someone hits a huge ball automatically people's tendency is to just back up a little bit and like be on their back foot but you can back up i, I would say if you're doing that back up earlier and then still be leaning forward because no one hits a good volley when they're like leaning backwards. It's just not a thing. So it'd be better to actually start farther away from the net and then like just be kind of leaning forward. So not necessarily like, yeah, because it's just everyone's tendency. Like if you watch me play, if I'm like nervous or if I like don't, if someone's hitting a huge return, like you probably see me backing up a little bit as well. It's just like everyone does it no matter how like good you are, I guess. I, I film all, all my players from the side and I'll say, hey, the only job you have is to close at least one inch closer to the net than when you started. Yeah. And I'll be on the side and they'll finish the point. They're like, oh, I did it for sure. And I'm like, oh, you backed up six inches. <laughs> you know, like even when they think they're doing it, they're not. And it's just like you said, it's such a common thing. And then, you know, that six inches isn't going to prevent you from getting hit or no. give you that much more time. But then it also makes your volley infinitely harder. Yeah. No, I'm I feel like. I mean, I've improved all my all my game, and I think Gabby's amazing at the net. I'm, like, trying to get to her level at the net, but I still think that I am, like, a good net player, and I get pegged once a match. Like, it's just how it works. She doesn't actually seem to get pegged, but I <laughs> I think it's something about being, like, I don't know. I like to think, like, that's my, like, long arms, like, in the way. I don't know. I think I'm just not as fast. It's so funny because that's a common thing too, is that people, you know, they want to get, don't want to get close to the net or they're worried about getting hit. And a lot of times I'll ask them, how many times have you been hit? And oh, they're yeah. like, oh, well, well, for, for the rec player, it's like a lot of them are like, well, almost never. And I'm like, so you, you won't close on a volley because of something that happened once in your life. Yeah. And then you're sitting here saying you get hit all the time. And by the way, you're fine. Like yeah. <laughs> you survived those hits. It's not that scary. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you don't get pegged that often. I, it's a running joke between Gabby and I right now, because I've been getting pegged, like, a lot. <laughs> but normally you don't. Like, it's just not a thing. When you're also, when she's serving and you're in, like, a regular standard formation, how concerned are you with your opponent returning down the line in the doubles alley? Oh, not not concerned at all. I, we, we always say that... Um, like, if it happens three times, then that's when we'll change the game plan. So if someone, like, passes us, and, you know, if they're passing us and it's in the singles, then that's probably something that we are doing incorrectly. But if it's in the doubles alley, then I would say that it's, like, has to happen three times before we change it. I'm not really concerned about that. That someone, if I'm doing my job as, like, setting Gabby up, or if she's doing her job setting me up, then that probably won't happen. And if it does, then they're obviously like adjusting really well and then we'll change the game. You know what I mean? Like if I'm full crossing or if I'm looking, then someone's not really going to pass me. Like they'd have to pass me the doubles alley. You have to give, I think you have to give the opponents 
some of the co- some of the court you can't cover everything and so if you're giving them the alley like most of the time like that's okay so i'm doing quick math what's 27 plus 28 55 so you played 55 matches this year how often do teams get to that three ball down the line in the alley like is that is that a regular thing where you go oh okay this team's roasting us down the line or is that just still a very rare thing that happens throughout the year it depends i've played with like three different partners this year so i think it depends on you know who i was playing with um i don't think it's often because i don't think like because i've used that it's not just like gabby and i do that but like a lot of people do that and I've done that with other partners. I I don't remember. It's often. I would say five matches. I don't know, fifteen. Yeah, this it's the re, this is my long setup to to roast all my listeners and these people because they they always say, well, oh, you know, I'm playing this three five or four zero match, and they just always hit down the line in the alley. Yeah, and I'm like, man, like that person can hit in that four and a half foot window every time, like. <laughs> but they must never miss returns, right? Because the court is like 36 right. feet wide. And, and I don't see it. And I don't see it at your level. I don't see it at the recreational level. But people are so concerned about down the line. And you said it well, where it's like, if it goes in the singles court, that's probably on you. Yeah. Like that's that's not an incredible shot. But what what's your best advice to help someone out there kind of get over that that hurdle mentally? I would say... If that is actually, first of all, figure out if it's a fact or if it's a feeling, because a lot of time it's just a feeling. Um, and then if it's a fact, I would look at what you're, the ball that you're giving them in order to do that, because you're making them so comfortable that they can hit that little spot like over and over and over again. Then I think that that's more about the ball that they're receiving rather than them, I think. Does your mentality up there shift? dramatically between like a first serve and a second serve no i mean maybe a little bit first serves you're just like a little bit more aggressive even if it's like a slower first serve but i think it has a lot to do with the returners mentality changing a ton between first and second serves because which is what something like a coach i started working with two years ago i can't remember the actual stat he's gonna kill me for not remembering this but it was like as returners you're like so 100% ready to return a second serve because they always go in, you know, most of the time, 98, 99% of the time. First serves, you're like not as ready because like 50% of the time they don't go in. So if you just like, you know, kick a first serve in or something like that, then it's like you're getting the returner that's not 100% ready. And that like really resonated with me because I was like, that makes complete sense, especially on like big points, you know, first serves are really important. This is like a long winded answer to, I can't even remember the question at this point, but I think. I try to not make my mentality that much different because um, most of, I mean, most of the people I play with, they have really good second serves. So there's not like a massive difference basically. What is, how does your focus shift when your partner is returning? So you're at the net, Gabby's returning. How does that differ? Where do you start and what are you hoping to accomplish on that? So we're like a really aggressive minded team, I think. And we're always trying to get to the net together. So I think, for us, we're working on, you know, starting closer to the net as the returner's partner and like, you know, getting ready for anything so that, you know, if my, if Gabby did hit to the net player, I could reflex it and then she could have time to come into the net with me. So I'm definitely standing a lot closer than I have with any other partner before, which, you know, at the beginning is really uncomfortable because you're kind of like, oh, well, what if they, you know, hit a huge serve and blah, blah, blah. But the pros outweigh the cons in the sense, like if she connects on a return and then we're on the attack. I'm not like standing halfway between the service line and the baseline. 
you know what I mean? Like kind of, I'm not like, it's really hard to judge how to get in fast enough. So I think we always try to be really aggressive. And so I'm definitely starting a lot closer as the return partner. Like I would say I'm starting either right on the service line or like a foot inside and I'm trying to be even closer. Yeah. I'm curious on your thoughts. Cause a lot of people, they do, you're kind of talking about three quarter court, that one I've never understood. I, I've just been like, just do one or the other, just start back or start yeah. up. But some people start on the service line and at the recreational level, they're like, oh, well, I'm calling the service line for my partner. And I'm like, okay, but you're not going to be able to f- do anything from the service line. You're going to have to close from there, which most people don't do. They just kind of stand there. And so at Duke, we actually had, we went through a phase where we just said, why don't you just start like midway up in the box? And yeah. they would say, well, what if the what if the opposing net player gets the ball? And I'm like, well, then they'll probably win the point. But you're, you're not like, how many reflex volleys are you going to like break with? You right. know, are you going to hit four reflex volleys up there? So I don't know. I, I like what you're talking about. I think starting closer is even better. Like if you're up there, you're up there to play offense. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it definitely depends on like what coach you ask, because like they all have different opinions on this, which is what I find so interesting about this topic, because there's no like right or wrong answer and it really depends on the player. And like some coaches are like hundred percent, you need to be closer. Some coaches are like, no, stand back. So, you know, I think it's what you will like you're comfortable with, but definitely the ones I'm working with now want us to be closer. They literally are saying like, if you can, if you can steal one point, that's great, but you're not going to steal four points from the service line. You know what I mean? So you might as well be on attack if the, if we're both returning well, and then it's like kind of like as if we're serving because if I like connect on a return, Gabby's like on top of the net and vice versa. So I think it's it's something that we're definitely working on for sure, which is so funny because we're still like a new team. <laughs> We've only been like playing together for like, I think it's three months now, August, September, October. Yeah. So we're still learning a lot about each other. So that's kind of fun, too. It's It seems to be working pretty well for you. Yeah, it's a good start (laughs) so uh we're we're gonna actually one more quick question on that so when you are close to the net Mm -hmm. and whether it's your partner's returning or your partner is serving do you have any good tips for reflexing volleys when the ball's coming quickly any technical cues or any anything that helps you do better when you're up there at the net um i have a tendency to always like my wrist like drops so my racket is like not up where my like head level is and I think that's like a balance because if it's like too cocked up, then you're like, I don't know. I don't find that good for reflexing either. But I'm always like, if I'm, even though I'm ready and my feet are like moving, my slowly, my hands like drop down. So I always need to tell myself to keep my head like above my wrist or my the head of my racket above my wrist. And that's really helped me. So maybe it can help other people. For sure. So we've got a couple Instagram questions, uh, followers that knew you were going to be on and these are from them. Um, speaking, you and Gabby have only been three months, but, uh, they want to know you've played with a lot of partners. Yeah. What's your best advice for gelling quickly with a new partner? Oof. Um, make it like a no judgment zone for your partner to be able to communicate freely, no matter what, like no matter what thought they're having in their brain, no matter what feeling they're having, like I try to make it so that they can communicate that with me. Obviously sometimes that probably doesn't work. Like, I don't know. I mean, I try to make it so it's like an open space, you know, that they feel like they can communicate no matter what it is that they're feeling. Even if the, even if the feeling they think is like wrong or like something that they, you know, think no one else is feeling kind of thing, because I know that that helps me. So I try to do that for my partners. I would say that's like my best advice. 
You mentioned the the speed of the serves were different for every partner when you're at the net and you have to figure that out. Is there anything else in terms of, you know, one thing is always, you know, what side, who should play what side or, you know, let's say one person's more comfortable staying back, one person's more comfortable crashing the net. Like, do you find yourself deferring to their strengths or how do, how do you guys figure out what that, that style is? Yeah, it's really hard because like, like you said, everyone's so different. Um, definitely the side thing is a debate. Some players know that they play on one side and that's literally all they'll do like end of story um i would say at the level i'm at now most know what side they're like they're better at um but that's something that's always like my partner i played with last year alicia rosolska we were on one side for like eight months i think and then we switched because we were like oh like i feel like we can be better and then we switched and it actually didn't work at all like we thought that it would might be better like might be like the factor that would help but it actually did the opposite. Like we were not, not just not effective on those sides together, which I thought was really interesting. Like we're both, we were both really obviously good tennis players, but it just didn't work. And then what else did you ask? <laughs> what? Just, just gelling quickly. So like if I, if you and I played and I'd be like, okay, well look, I like right now I can't hit over a return. So I'm going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to block a lob up the line and I'm going to do oh, some weird things. Like and then that might be counter to what you're used to. And so, yeah, do you kind of yeah, just go, yeah. hey, let's just both play our strengths no matter what? Or, you know what, I'm going to take away something I do because it's uncomfortable for you. It's like, what's that balance? Yeah, no, it's really hard. It's one of the hardest things I think about playing doubles is like, yeah, for example, it's a really great example is like if you can't hit a return and like your entire return game is based off of you hitting tops and returns, like what kind of do you do? And you're like, do I keep going for like my strength or do I like kind of, you know, exactly like you said, like chip it and kind of put like bring at least start the point I think that's just something you have to talk to your partner about and I think that that's yeah I don't know there's not like one answer for that but I think that it's definitely an, an ongoing conversation with like all partnerships because I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses like and then I played with Alexa Garachi this year as well and I would say I like to be at the net more and she likes to be at the baseline more so that was kind of like a position that we were always trying to get in and sometimes it would get us like kind of into trouble trying to get into that position because we were kind of like uncomfortable getting there. And so we would never even get there. We would just like kind of lose the point, if that makes sense. So it's an ongoing thing. You just with every partner, it's like an ongoing thing. But as long as you can, can communicate that, like, hey, I don't want to whatever. I don't want to be at the net today, even if that's like not ideal because you're playing doubles. It's better that your partner knows that than doesn't know it. Right. What is a specific tactic that you use that you also think the local 3-5 or 4-0 could implement in their doubles game? Yeah, I think um, with the rule we were talking about earlier is a good one just in general for everything. And I would say specifically, just like do a lot more like full poaches off of serve, no matter if it's first serve, second serve. Like if you're communicating with your partner, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at, like most of the time just seeing the net player like move and like kind of cause chaos will create the returner to like mess up and even if it doesn't immediately like you're playing like the long-term game kind of thing so like in a an hour or in like a couple games they're going to think about when you crossed and like they even if they did pass you up the line they're still thinking about that so i think that's probably my one advice that I would give. And if they were to watch us in Cancun, we're definitely going to be doing a lot of that. So <laughs> It's funny for some reason, like when people poach and let's say I was playing against you and I poached and I left a little early and you went line and you missed the return. 
my mentality is like I made you miss. Yeah. I feel like the I feel like the amateur mentality is, oh, they beat me line. Like they yeah. they knew it and I got lucky. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's so true. But no, you need to be like and even we always say to each other, like if we're doing a full poach or if, even if like it's a feeling, like we always tell each other, like if we have a feeling that it's like the time to poach, obviously go with that gut feeling and do it. We're never going to be mad at each other about it. So if I was to go and got burned up the line, like Gabby's always like, hey, like that's that was a great move. They're thinking about it. Like, don't worry. Even if the ball is in, like we literally just lost the point. You have to lose points in order to win points. So I think that's what you have to think about. Quick, quick follow up. Do you have any advice on how to poach more effectively whether it's timing whether it's the situation how how do you decide what's a good tip you can give out there so they can uh, poach more effectively i would just make sure that no matter what kind of poach it is like no matter where you are in the court that you're not moving sideways like diagonally um or even like forward and then right or left is a good rule that i always tell myself like I'm always like, okay, you need to move up and then sideways. Then you're just cutting off the angle so much easier. I mean, I feel like that's pretty basic advice, but it really is something that's like stuck with me. Because again, it's kind of like when you're at the net and you're moving backwards, you don't, you can't volley well like that. It's the same moving sideways. No one can volley well like that. And you're not cutting off the angle. You're actually just giving them more of the court. So I would just say uh, forward first or diagonally. You you said it's super basic, but it it doesn't get more simple. Just just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not correct. Uh, okay, so what is this person want to know? What is something people underestimate or may not know about elite doubles play? May not know. Interesting. I would say that we're oh I've got one that we're like. It, I think a lot of the times when people watch us play, they think that we just got it all together and like we're not nervous and we're not like feeling any of the feelings and we're just like, you know, we're good. So we can hit forehands, backhands all day, no matter what, which is so false. Like we're probably overthinking or thinking and in our heads more than more than, more than I think the amateur players because so much is on the line, I think, but also it doesn't really matter what level you're playing at. Like you're going to get nervous and you're going to feel these things. Like there's been moments in matches where like, I literally feel like I cannot make a return. Like I literally look at my partner and I'm like, I don't know what it is today, but I can't put one ball in the court and then I have to figure it out. So I think that that's something that people don't realize that we're just also out here just trying to figure it out day by day. And um, yeah, a lot of the times you're going to have like your F tennis or like your D minus tennis and you're going to have to figure out a way to win or at least put yourself in a position to win anyway. So even if it looks like we're playing well, a lot of the times we're not. <laughs> it's funny. Cause so if I have maybe like a high school state player and I'll say, Hey, you know, if you could be top 20 in the country nationally, would you be happy? And they'd be like, Oh my God, that'd be amazing. And I, I okay, well I work with two people who are there and they're not happy. They want to be number one. They want, they want to be number one. And then I'm like, well, if you were number one, would you be happy? And that person would say yes. And then I'll go, okay, but they're they're upset that they're not going to be number one in college. And then that you're not top 100 and then you're not top 10. It's like you never outgrow what you're talking about. Yeah. Struggling with the return or struggling with nerves. Every single player has it. It's just they're on different levels. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, even though like we're, I guess, better or at like a, the highest level in the world of something, like it doesn't mean that we're like bringing that level every single day. Like how easy would life be if I could just like wake up and play, go play a match and be like, yep, I'm going to serve like 95% first serves today. Like this is great, but never happens. So, 
so last two questions. Uh, this person wanted to know what is the best coaching advice you've ever received? I'm going to say two things. And the first one is from like my childhood coach, Harry Greenan. He would always just so basic. He would always tell me like when I was before matches, like so nervous, like I would get so nervous. I'd be like crying and he'd be like, pressure is a privilege, which he obviously everyone knows that saying, but to me, that really is something that I keep telling myself. Like even now I'm like 28 years old. He probably told me that when I was like 11 and I do remind myself of that literally every single match I play just because it's so true. Like the problems that you're, or like when you're so nervous or when you're freaking out, like, and you're, that's like a problem. Right. But it really is like a privilege to have that problem. So I try to remember that. And then I think what I said before about the returning that Bruce told me, like, just like a tactically tactical thing. Yeah. That has stuck with me. And I think that it's like really changed my life. So. So just to recap that return thing, you were oh, saying yeah. just the, just the expectation that the ball will go in. So you're saying on a first serve, just assume it's going in. So you're just as ready as the second serve. No, it's as the server, like knowing that they're the returner on a first serve is like less ready. Basically. Got it. Got it. So yes. Technically. Yeah. I guess you could use it returning to, to, to get ready, but no, I use it when I'm serving and I'm like, okay, like if I 70 put a 75% serve and hit my spot rather than going like boom, 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 boom. Cause I used to kind of go like just hard all the time. Which is another thing a coach told me was like, hard isn't hard if it's always hard, which is true as well. That's a that's a great saying. I like that one. Yeah. There you go. Good little nugget. <laughs> and then last question as always, what is your best advice for the 4-0 doubles player? Oh, no. Um, kind of just along the lines of like not being afraid, you know, to get passed up the line or get just get burned, I guess, on some things my advice would just to be like I don't know you know the worst feeling ever is when you're like at the net and someone goes cross and you were thinking like oh I could have poached but you didn't and then you lose the point anyway and then you just regret so badly like not poaching and not causing some sort of like chaos or movement like that feeling of regret is so much worse than like crossing and like getting passed down the line I think I would say my advice is to just poach (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my advice i love it no it's 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 great advice i mean a lot of times like a match will finish and i'll go how many times did you get beat down the line and they might go i don't know like 10 and i'm like cool how many times did you get beat cross court and it's like it's like 150 and so i'm like what are we talking about here yeah i don't know what it is i feel like it's like we grew up like with i don't know what it is it's like we grew up thinking that like letting the cross court ball go is like totally fine. But like the down the line one, not, I don't know what it is, but everyone has those exact same feelings. Well, one thing I hear from people is they, they, you can tell me actually how you view it, but they see it as my side versus your side. So if I get beat down the line, it's like, I'm not doing my job. And my take is your job at the net is to get the ball. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting the ball. You're not doing your job. I don't care if you covered your half of the court. If the ball never went there, then you need to be moving. Yeah, I don't think it's hard. It's difficult because doubles is not like, oh, one side of the court and the other side of the court, which is what a lot of like amateur players think it is. But it's not that. It's like there's like sections. And if you've communicated with your partner, then yeah, your job is to get the ball. And so you, you're still doing your job. So again, thanks for coming on. I've been trying to track you down for a while, but you've been too busy winning tournaments all over the world. And this one will actually release Monday, which you were saying you'll either have your first your first match or your second match at Cancun for the WTA Tour Finals. So good luck there. 
keep it rolling and uh, we'll be looking for those poaches. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to thank Aaron for coming on the show. I wasn't kidding. We had been texting for about a month and each week she kept making the finals or winning the event so we couldn't record an episode. If you follow my Instagram and are a regular listener to the show, you know I want you in the middle of the court in doubles and leaving your doubles alley wide open. Aaron made a great point that leaving your doubles alley open is not the same as leaving your line open. So just because you're covering the middle doesn't mean you won't be able to cover your own singles court. And I also loved your take on analyzing if you have a fact or a feeling. A lot of times when you get beat down the line in your alley, it feels like it's happened every point, when in reality it may have only happened five times for the entire match. So learn from one of the best doubles players in the world, poach more, be aggressive, and wreak havoc on your opponents. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.